Welcome to the Power to Transform podcast, where healthcare professionals learn simple, powerful, and practical information they can apply daily to live a meaningful and fulfilled life, both personally and professionally. Now, here's your host, John Bentley. Welcome to Episode 7. Today, I'm going to share with you my self-leadership journey, because here's what I've discovered. People in my life have taught me lessons that let me realize that my frustration, my struggle, and my limited opportunities for success was simply because I failed to lead myself. Today's episode is brought to you by The Pallet Cabin, where their motto is, live simple, enjoy life. All right, let's dive right in and learn about my self-leadership journey And I hope that you pick up some tips and tools and models that will lessen your frustration, limit your struggles, and give you more opportunities for success. When's the last time someone shared with you information, feedback, or a thought that shifted the way you thought about how you were going to lead your life? Well, for me, it was April 9th, 1982, when the most respected person, Russell G. White, in a 1,200-person organization, shook a Coke can and asked me to open it. Of course, you can imagine I told him no, and the reason I told him no was what's in it will spew all over me and you, and it will feel sticky, nasty, and and it'll just be ugly. And he shared a life lesson with me that day, and the life lesson was this. John, that's what you do when things don't go your way and you think you're right. I really don't understand why you've gotta be the smartest person in the room. You wanna be the most responsible, but yet you don't know how to rally people around you to get results done or get results through them. So John, the lesson is until you learn to lead yourself, you'll never earn the right to lead others. And John, you'll struggle, you'll remain frustrated, and you'll limit your opportunities for success. Wow, now now he said that, I want you to get this please, in a truthful and kind way. Not just truthful or just kind, He did it in a truthful and kind way. And the best leaders, the people that love us and care for us, know how to do things in a truthful and kind way. You see, if I'm just truthful, I'm going to tell you what I think, and I really don't care how you feel. I'm going to win. I'm going to punish. I'm going to blame. I'm going to be right. And if I'm just kind, it's kind of like tipping on eggshells where you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings and you don't want your feelings to get hurt. But you see, he delivered a message to me in a truthful and kind way, and it hit home with me. Because that day I made a promise to myself to understand why is it in tense situations when people are trying to be smarter than me, that's what I'm thinking, that doesn't mean they are. When they have better ideas than I do, that's what I'm thinking, that doesn't mean it is, that I spiral out of control. And fortunately, over the last, it'd be eight, would take us to, 2000. So the last 28 years, I am continuing to make imperfect progress with my ability to become a better leader, to be able to manage my thoughts, to manage my behaviors, so I can model the way when this crazy world is attacking us from all sides right now. And you see, those of you that learn how to model the way, you're calm in those situations, you're confident, and you create what I call realistic optimism. Now, you see, realistic optimism is not this super positive attitude where everything's rosy. It's admitting what the situation is. And let's just look right now. We're 
we're in our homes a lot. There's social and physical distancing. Even here in Alabama, they're mandating masks. Some people are for it, some aren't. And, and that's life. But the idea is, what is it that I can choose to do in this moment that's going to be the best for me and those I love and those around me? How is it that my behavior can be productive and helpful versus being hurtful and destructive? And so I'm going to share with you just some models and tools that I've been fortunate enough to use and people have taught me to help me become a better leader. Now that doesn't mean I do everything perfect because I slip, trip and fall sometimes. But the idea is what do I have that I can rely on? And I'm going to use a term here where I can be a thermostat behavior that's helpful and productive versus being a thermometer behavior that's cost others and hurtful and destructive. Because you see a thermostat does what? It regulates the environment. Well, think of your environment as your mind. You know, here at my home, my wife sets the thermostat in the summer on 78 degrees. I can count on in my house, as long as our, our thermostat's working and our air conditioner's working, on a nice 78 degrees in my home. It regulates it. Well, that's what I'm asking you to consider today. Under pressure, under pressure, do you regulate your, your mental mindset so that you can choose behaviors that are helpful? Now, I'm going to go back just a little bit to 1992 and start understanding what I uncovered about myself that caused me to blow up at people, to try to force my way. And, and here's what I discovered. I discovered that whether my dad said it to me or not, his actions came across to me that no matter what I did, I was not good enough. Now, imagine that. A 31-year-old man at the time in 1992, to sometimes today, I'll be 60 this year, I got a seven-year-old little hurt boy that jumps up at me and takes over and spews all over, over people because he doesn't feel he's smart enough. Doesn't matter what he does, he can't be good enough. So I, I, I'm not saying my dad actually told me that, but he always wanted me to do better. He'd say, John Jr., did you do your best? Are you sure you did your best on that, son? And I processed that as a young kid, six, seven, eight years old, that, wow, I'm not good enough. And I carried that around with me through into 31 years of age and even still, as I said before, sometimes today. So I love my dad. He passed away in 2011. And here's what I learned about him. When he was two and a half, his mother passed away giving childbirth to the seventh child. She was 29. That was 1933. And he was the sixth child. Well, his dad remarried within six months. And him and his new bride, my dad's stepmom, they had seven daughters as almost as fast as you could have them. And I learned that my dad never got the nurturing or the love that he needed growing up. And so he had to learn to rely on who? Himself. And he was teaching me how to rely on myself. And unfortunately, you know, and we know in the world today and even back then, you can't do anything by yourself. It requires us to work and collaborate with each other especially the day, because what we do in accomplishing results, we do it with our mind, our knowledge. So you got to learn how to connect, communicate, and collaborate. You got to learn how to be with people. So as I kept moving forward, I was introduced to a model called the DISC behavioral model. It describes behaviorally how we like to do things, how we're wired to do it. Now, I'll just give you a quick synopsis. The D is dominance, and I don't mean that's physical, where you're 
overbearing, but what it really means is you're fast paced, active and bold and you're task focused. So you want to get things done quickly and immediate results. And if you don't agree with it, then you kind of go in there and you do force your way a little bit. Now the I, the influence, they're also fast paced and bold, but what I want to share with you is they're people focused. So they think about who can I involve? Who can I motivate to get things done? And then the steadiness style, they're people focused as well, but they're more indirect and thoughtful and they love to maintain harmony and support people. And then the last style to see the conscientious is they're also more thoughtful and indirect, but they want to do things precisely and accurately and they're task focused. Now, what I want to share with you today is you're a combination of all four of those styles to a greater or lesser degree. And by me understanding that model and understanding how I like to operate, which I'm a great combination of the influence and the dominance, I like to bring people together and I want to get quick, immediate results. That's a lot of fun to me. However, I've got to recognize on my teams, even in my families, in the organizations that, that I serve in nonprofits, there's people with different styles in there. So those of you with the steadiness and conscientious style that you like to think about things before you speak up, I must recognize that. And I also must recognize when I'm leading you or I'm working to influence your thinking and your behavior to get results, that I must approach you in a way that makes sense to you. So in other words, I've got to enter your space in a way that you can accept and understand versus always driving and pushing the way my style likes. And here's the way I like to think about that. So if you're dominant, you're bold, you're fast paced, you want to get immediate results, you drive. If you're influenced, again, you're fast paced, but it's about bringing people together. If you're the steadiness style, you prefer harmony, you like a lot of support, like to support people. And if you're the conscientious, you like to think about things, but you like to do it precisely. And here's what I want you to think about. If you choose one of those styles, I want you to picture a vehicle that would describe your behavior in your mind. Just, just picture that. I'll, I'll count to 10 in my mind while you're picturing that. Just count down. Now you ready? I'm, I'm going to tell you what I would, what, what I am, what vehicle represents me. And it's a 1968 candy apple red Camaro with a 396 super sport, wide tires, loud stereo, because it's powerful and it looks good and you know I'm coming. And you, for the certain task or certain, certain interacting, relating with certain people, I'm going to be with them and connect with them. But for some of those other styles, that conscientious and that steadiness, I'm always powerful, on the go, pushing my way, trying to get people to get, do more in a hurry. I'm going to be at them. And it's not going to be comfortable. And it's going to create conflict. So I want to put this behavioral vehicle analogy in context. And, and all of us have interstates that we drive on or we drive on these highways and invariably we're going to run into these orange diamond shaped signs that have what written on them. Well, we know it's caution, road work ahead, slow down. And then you're going to have this yellow flashing light that's telling you to get into one lane. And what I like to practice is checking your awareness or check my awareness. Now it's obvious when those signs and those flashing lights occur, the environment just changed. A way to look at that in a work setting is the situation just changed. Now I'm gonna be that same vehicle. I, I, I'm gonna be that same vehicle, but I'm going to turn my stereo down, roll my window up, 
back off my accelerator because on the interstate I can do 75, 78 miles an hour. But here's what I'm doing. I'm choosing the behavior that's going to help me be most effective and have a positive impact on that situation and others based on the environment and the surrounding. I'm acting like a thermostat and regulating my behavior so it has a payoff and it's helpful and productive versus staying on my accelerator or jumping in and out of lanes or finding a way to go around people where my behavior would now become a cost and would be hurtful and destructive. Now, a way for me to describe this in a work setting, as a leader back in 2013, working for the federal government, we lost our budget when everything was cut in 2013. And our, I should say our training budget. And our training budget was used to bring in HR personnel into our schoolhouse to train them how to do recruitment, how to classify jobs, how to do management employee relations. Well, all that travel stopped because we had no money. And I, I've got five employees working for me and they're frustrated because they think this may impact our job or we could possibly even lose our jobs. So, so that there was uncertainty and ambiguity. So I'm an idea guy and I just said, hey, I'd like to pitch an idea to you all for y'all to think about and come back to me that if we could do it, how would we do it? And here's what I pitched. I pitched creating situations and simulations of how the work was performed and sending that to them to read through the scenario in the case study, provide the answer from, from multiple choice, give us the references they use to choose the answer, but I also wanted them to type out how they thought about the job. And the team at first thought I was crazy and I said, hey, let's just sleep on it. I know some of you need a little time to think about it because right now you're probably thinking what could go wrong with it. So you see, I had a blend of all four of the styles on my team. My admin person who supported me, she didn't help develop or deliver training, but she made sure that the classrooms were set up. So, so, so here's what we did. They came back the next day and said, hey, great, let's do it. How are we gonna divvy up the work? Well, I had Carol, who was a strong C conscientious and D dominance person that's task focused. Once she know what's right looks like, she just takes off quickly. So what she agreed to do was write test questions for us because they had to be precise and she was skilled in that area. Well, then I had a subject matter expert in human resources, Maria, who was at steadiness style. She just loves supporting and helping each other. So what she did was wrote the context of the material for us. And then we passed that on to Charlie, who's that high eye influence, loves involving people. And that D dominance wants to move quickly. And he brought the case studies to live with what Maria provided. And then once the case studies were written, Maria and Carol worked on the test questions and got those right. And then guess what we did? I had Terry. Terry's a combination of a DC as well, but Terry really liked to work alone. So he took and put all of this information into a learning management system for us. And here was the outcome. In a six month period, we trained 300 plus people and the estimated cost savings for the travel was $350,000. So here's the beauty behind understanding the DIS model, 
Number one, you can understand others and know how to enter their space in a way that makes sense to them so they're motivated. Number two, you can understand yourself and be very self-aware and know when you can adapt your behavior, when you can stretch or redirect it to be successful with yourself and others based on the situation. And because I knew that DISC model and because I built trust with the team and interacting and relating with them in a way that made sense, so I was with them, I'd earned their trust. And just in that situation in a one month period, being able to create, create five wonderful scenarios on key work that needed to be performed, we were able to be very successful. Now I'm gonna pause there for just a minute because the one thing I wanna share with you that's very, very important if you have not done this, is it's important to define and live your personal core values. It took me 10 to 15 years to get those truly solidified. And here's why I say that. And I'm gonna go back to my behavioral vehicle example with you. So here I am driving down the road and I'm running a little bit late going to Birmingham, Alabama. That's about an hour south of me. And all of a sudden there's a traffic jam. Well, you can imagine what's going on inside me, those emotions. In fact, I'm starting to feel the cake can, the Coke can shake just a little bit right now. And if I didn't live by my values, which are be approachable, be teachable, and be helpful, if I didn't let those values drive my behavior, I wouldn't have chose behaviors appropriate for that situation. I would have been trying to dodge in and out of traffic. I would have been taking back roads, speeding. But what I realized is by letting my values, I just stopped and got centered on those values that if I'm doing that, I'm not approachable. I certainly can't be teachable and there's no way I can be helpful in that situation. So when those values become the foundation of the decision-making process, especially in tense moments that you can rely on to help you choose those helpful behaviors and adapt and stretch and be versatile or to redirect, then you're gonna have success. But soon as those values become the passenger in your behavioral vehicle, you're gonna choose behaviors that are gonna be hurtful, that you're not gonna be happy with, that you're going to either blow up or clam up under pressure. Now, now here's the key. If you blow up, if you clam up under pressure, you gotta stop and just ask yourself, what is really driving that? And for me, back in the day, when the Coke can was shook, it boiled down to my self-esteem was not good. I, had in, I was insecure and I thought I had to be the smartest person in the room in order to have self-worth and self-value. So what I'm gonna encourage you to do is to learn more about yourself, but practice it. Don't just know it, practice it, live it, make it part of who you are. Define and live those values. Know what your convictions are. One of my convictions is when people interrupt others, I hate being interrupted. I was told to be quiet as a child, children to be seen and not heard. But my values are helpful, teachable, approachable. And if I see someone else interrupt someone, I have to stop myself from quieting that person down because then I'm violating my own values, my own conviction. So that's one thing I have to be very aware of. And because I understand the DISC model so well, and I've been teaching it for 20 years, I can adapt my behavior based on the situation and the person to be very, very successful. Another way I adapt my behavior is in my business. Every month I take one day, two hours at a time and do precise financial work, putting in all my information in QuickBooks. 
I got to get by myself for about two hours to do that because it drains my battery. I can do the C work, but it drains my battery. So learning to adapt my behavior to be successful and also to be able to adapt to changing situations, adapt to changing situations. So I encourage you to do that. And, and then the, another one is what are your emotional triggers? What is it that caused you to fire off like that and either blow up or clam up, right? If you blow up, what do you do? You dig in, try to force your way on others. And if you clam up, you give in and just say, okay, whatever, whatever you say, I'll do it. Well, that's not helpful. That doesn't help move us forward. That stalls us down, whether it's in a marriage, it's in an organization, in a church, nonprofit. If I can't stay focused and be able to feel safe and help others feel safe, we're going to get bogged down. And last but not least, knowing, after knowing those emotional triggers, what I'm going to encourage you to do is write out a teachable leadership point of view. Here's why that's critical. With a teachable leadership point of view, what you'll be able to do is share that with others, and it defines who you are, what your values are, what influenced you in life, people, events, and then when you can share that with them and share what you expect of them and what they can expect from you, that is your roadmap, your GPS for how you're going to behave, whether situations are going great or not great. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. When they catch you not living up to what you said you wanted to do with your leadership and your leadership point of view, get them to call you on it. That is the best thing that I've ever done is when people point out to me that I'm not living up to who I want to be. And what does it let me do? It lets me say, ah, I've got room to improve. Now I'm aware that's something that I can get better at. Hey, thank you for listening. I sure hope you were able to gain some insights or tips on the importance of self-leadership and your ability to positively influence yourself, which leads you to positively influencing others, especially in difficult times. Until next time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Power to Transform podcast. To learn more about John and the services he provides, visit his website at www.power2transform.com. If you found value in this show, please tell a friend. That would help us out too.